bestsellers, where we read about hashtag justice for glitter so you don't have to. I'm Renata. And I'm Kate. And for this episode, we read The Meaning of Mariah Carey by Mariah Carey. Joining us to discuss this allegedly defamatory memoir is a little lamb. (laughs) (laughs) Once again, we are actually guestless for this episode. The lamb will remain silent. (laughs) Lamb said all that they need to say. Okay, two things before we get into it. First up. Doing a content warning right at the beginning. Content warning, child neglect, domestic abuse, racism, mental illness being talked about badly, I guess. Uh, also, I wanted to say now, I've been meaning to say this for a while, that I know that we have a problem where we we start talking about something upsetting and they're like, oh yeah, we should have said content warning. And I know we don't always remember to say it out loud in the correct moment, but we do put them on the website. So if you are someone who, you know, looks for content warnings, has some topics you don't want to hear about, make sure to like read the episode description because it'll be there even if we didn't like say it in the moment. And the episode description too, it's not just on the website, it's in the text in whatever your podcatcher is. Yeah, the podcatcher takes the website text and puts it in a box. Yeah, we always have it written out in our document, but the thing is, this podcast also needs a content warning for like, undiagnosed ADD, where (laughs) we don't follow the whole things we wrote out sometimes. Anyway, so that's in this. If you know about Mariah Carey, probably some of these are not a surprise but that's what we're talking about the other thing i wanted to is just if you didn't know mariah carey's fans are called lambs and that's why our guest is a little lamb well actually there's two reasons i knew this was not very common knowledge and one was the episode of drag race where the challenge was they had to pick a diva and make a cult around her and Raja O'Hara's group picked Mariah Carey, but then they didn't know about lambs. And RuPaul was like, hey, dummies, if you're having a Mariah cult, it needs to be called lambs. And there's a whole thing. And then also recently, we were talking about that horror movie question mark lamb. And I was like, oh, yeah, like once I realized it wasn't about Mariah Carey, I wasn't interested. And the joke fell fucking flat. It and then did, I was like, oh, we did not know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> But if you knew about Mariah Carey and whatever that movie's actually about, I bet it'd be really funny. Yeah, it would be a funny joke. I bet if I told you this joke now that you've read The Meaning of Mariah Carey, you'd be like, ha. Anyway, yeah, so we're doing another celebrity memoir just as a way for, like, me to be refreshed and revived after our satanic panic month. Yes. Although, okay, so I describe this as an allegedly defamatory memoir, and This came out last year, I think last September, and Mariah Carey has two siblings, Morgan and Allison. They are both suing her about this book, which we'll get into it. But here's the thing that I want to say, and I want to make sure that my tone is correct, because this is not that funny because this person has some like pretty severe mental illness, I believe, that like they need some help. For, but just the coincidence is so much that it must be addressed. And so Mariah Carey's sister, Allison, is suing Mariah about this book. But she's also separately suing their mother because she alleges that their mother brought her to abusive satanic rituals when she was a kid, which is, uh, you know, citation needed. Uh, uh, you know, if you need more about that, you can listen to our, our last couple of episodes. But, um... 
Yeah, Mariah does not mention that, and I don't believe that it did happen, actually. Yeah. I mean, because she mentions a lot of other stuff. Like, obviously, the whole debunking of the satanic panic of the two episodes we did in October aside, Mariah does not hold back from talking about the terrible things that happened to her in her childhood. And I think that satanic ritual abuse would have been ripe for inclusion in this memoir in the off chance it was actually real. Oh, yeah. Mariah would have mentioned it. Yeah, so this was... Renata's pick. I knew previously very, very little about Mariah Carey. Like, I could maybe pick her out of a lineup. I knew the songs. I listened to pop radio between roughly like 1995 and 2000. And I knew the songs that were on the radio then, and a couple of the songs that were on the radio. Before that, because the talent show in my elementary school when I was in uh, either fourth or fifth grade was very heavy on like, I think there were like three different people who were doing Mariah Carey numbers. Yeah. Uh, Well, you know, maybe it's because she had 19 number one hit singles, Kate. Yeah, it's possible. (laughs) Yeah. So like I, I, my Mariah Carey knowledge was minimal at best. I knew... The, like obliquely that that sh- glitter was a thing that had happened oh. but not anything about it okay i like and respect mariah carey's music it's not necessarily music that i go like i'm not a super fan of her music but i just love her as like a personality like anytime there's an interview with mariah carey or like you know a, a write-up of her home like anything like that i'm clicking on it because she will say the wildest shit and I'm always here for it. Like, I just, I love her as a, like, true, no bones about it diva. And that, that was also on display in this book. And then also just as someone who maybe, like, just pays a little bit more attention to pop culture than some other people on this podcast, there, there, like, there are major moments from pop culture history starring Mariah Carey that, that we'll get into. (sighs) But this, I have to say, I was really pleasantly surprised by this book, frankly, you know, in a way that like made me go and like check my check my assumptions, because I really like this book has when we talked about Elvira's book, and we talked about her, like she had a lot of name drops where she had like wild encounters with celebrities. But Elvira, like, oh, I didn't really feel like name dropping. I just felt like she was like excited to meet these people. Mariah is name dropping. <laughs> she wants you to know, like, anytime a famous person, like, paid her a compliment, she will replicate the compliment in full with, like, a footnote of, like, oh, yeah, like, Aretha Franklin said this to me. And you know what? If Aretha Franklin said anything to me, I would obviously put it in my book. Like, there's, I have no, <laughs> I have no fault with her for doing it, but it is so much. And it was really enjoyable, frankly. Like, honestly, there were a lot of weird name drops, which was wild. But the one that had me scratching my head the most was there's a point when she's young before she has her first record contract where she is at a concert and Will Smith is there. And like, she writes like, and then Will Smith and I became lifelong friends and it was great and nothing weird or like untoward ever happened. We were just friends. And it was like, was this, I wasn't sure if that was like a rumor that went around that I was unaware of, but it seemed like very, a very weird way to phrase it. It was very it. pointed. <laughs> yes. I, I pulled the, I pulled the specific quote because it was weird. 
our relationship was always platonic and never got weird. Like, you know what? Most of my friendship have never gotten weird, but I'm not going around <laughs> saying <laughs> I've been friends with her my whole life and it never got weird. But maybe that is just a disclaimer that, you know, we need to be out here giving. And, and I think there is too, there is something, you know, in our, in our heteronormative culture where if a, you know, presumed heterosexual man and heterosexual women are friends. Like, I think there is always a little bit of like, oh, is, you know, the, the Harry Met Sally of it all. Yeah. So, it yeah. It went, so weird. Yeah. It never got weird. Okay. <laughs> so I don't know why you're trying to make it weird. She said it never got weird. <laughs> yeah. So that, but that was really pretty expected for, you know, I like, I loved it, but I, you know, this kind of like, Oh yeah, and then like Patty Labelle said this. Like, yeah, that's what I expected from this. What I frankly didn't expect is that this was really well written. Like, she's a good writer, and like I knew she was a songwriter, but that's ask Annie DeFranco. That's not the same thing as being a good book writer. Okay, <laughs> I thought it was well written, and I thought she wrote really sensitively and like really compellingly about like race and racism and her struggles as a biracial person you know especially coming up in the 90s when people were even worse about it than they are now and there just like wasn't really any understanding for her okay what were your thoughts on that yeah like it was it was very readable it went very quickly um which i liked yeah i i hadn't expected it to be any one way or another like i i knew she wrote her own song so i knew she was capable of writing but like you said like sometimes a songwriter writes a really bad book <laughs> um i feel like we could write like an, an alignment chart you know for not like a D one but like the two axis one yeah where it's like name drop but didn't name drop and then like well written bad written i don't know something we'll we'll workshop this further but like okay she and she and ani defranco are on like opposite ends and then she and Elvira are, like, on the same side, but different corners. Yeah. Where does Rob Lowe fit into this? Name drop high. Name middle, drop high. Maybe, like, the middle. That was a fucking was fine, fine book. But also, book I think fine. he had a ghostwriter. The Rock. I'm sorry, Rock. Very Not very well written. But if he wrote one now, I think it would be different. Yeah. Matthew McConaughey. Name drop low. Well written. Yeah. Middle. <laughs> <laughs> bumper stickers dragging and the poetry dragons down yeah, <laughs> yeah. is that if all you, that's done yeah if you stripped all of the poetry and bumper stickers from Matt <laughs> McConaughey's book like legit we would be looking at <laughs> hi yeah okay we'll work on this we'll draft it or we'll forget about it and not do it one of those two things this is neither here nor there but we just said his name and it's always Matthew McConaughey time on this podcast. Uh, just keep living. I've started to get Hulu ads for some liquor that he endorses. Wild Turkey for Wild Turkey. And they just appeared out of nowhere. And it's one of those ones where it makes you choose which type of ad you want to see. <laughs> and uh. so it'll pause before the ad will play, which is the only reason I notice it. Because normally I tune the ads out. And I'll just like look up and there he is. There's his face on my screen asking me to choose my ad experience. Wow, I love that. What are the choices? I don't is even one remember. Of them, but it's, like bumper sticker. It's all, it's all like it's the same fucking commercial, but I think like cut in like 15 minute segments. I don't know. Mm, okay. I normally just click the first one 
and then mm-hmm. move on with my life. By the way, Mariah Carey also recently launched her own liquor, and it is called Black Irish. <laughs> and it is it is an Irish cream, and I think we should probably get some <laughs> for our next Worst Bestsellers themed gathering. Next Worst Bestsellers themed gathering, we'll have The Rocks Tequila, Matthew McConaughey's Wild Turkey. I mean, he's he doesn't own Wild Turkey, but he is. Yeah, that's the thing. Things. Like, I don't know if we need to include that. Just because this uh, is getting messy. Yes. I don't drink that much. It's getting out of control. (laughs) I mean, I do drink tequila. I would drink Irish cream, probably. It's like a two-course thing. Yeah, we'll do, like, margaritas and, like, you know, tacos. And then for the evening, settle in with some Irish cream dessert. Love it. I can also drink a lot more than you can. So I'm happy to carry us through this. Craig. (laughs) Um, Yes. Okay, so that's what Mary Care is up to now, is, like, being sued by her family and launching Black Irish Liquor. <laughs> um, with the lawsuits, by the way, so this book came out in September. The lawsuits trickled out in the beginning of this year. One of the siblings sued her first, and the other one followed. Right before recording, I checked. There hasn't really been any updates on that. I think there's, you know, probably going to be ended up settled, like, out of court or something. Yeah, so let's get into it. So this, I mean, it starts... In in chronological fashion, like we're going through Mariah's life, her mother Patricia was a white, like Juilliard trained opera singer, also a diva, and her father Alfred Roy was a black man who'd been in the military and then then wasn't in the military anymore, and I I think sometimes was unemployed, eh, just hanging around. Yeah, it's not clear how he left the military. She goes into some disturbing things that happened during his military time when he was accused of things that he didn't do because he was a black man and that's who they blamed for things and it was unclear to me at least like if he left after that or if he was kicked out or if what happened yeah same actually let me just google that right now okay i'm on the mariah carey fandom wiki so you know that's gonna be good The Mariah Carey fan wiki doesn't say, so it probably doesn't matter. If the lambs don't know, I don't need to know. <clears throat> and then, she, so she's the youngest of three. Her older siblings are Morgan and Allison, as stated. And through, you know, genetics, Mariah was lighter skinned than Morgan and Allison. And in Mariah's point of view, they both resented her for this, and they both felt like they were more discriminated against because they had darker skin. And from Mariah's point of view, she felt like she didn't fit in anywhere, like within her family because of that. And because, you know, black people didn't always recognize that she was black, but white people could tell that there was something like different. And like one of her friends who Mariah notes was literally named Becky and the name was not changed, but like her friend Becky found out her dad was black and like panicked and had to like leave the play date in a tizzy because there was like a black man there. So a lot of like fucked up treatment that she got and she talks a lot about no one knowing what to do with her hair because her mom was white and you know by the time mariah was old enough to be concerned with her hair allison was already in in mariah's telling was already sort of like checked out and being a bitch to her and then allison got married and left when she was 15 so that's great not great it yeah. was not great. Not a great time for her. She got pregnant and they were like, well, they like gave her special parental permission to marry the 19-year-old soldier who knocked her up and Allison went to live with him in the Philippines for a while. And even from Mariah's point of view, it just seems like that was not a good time for Allison. And then Allison came back home and again, just this is contentious and under litigation, but it it seems like not a good time for anyone, frankly. 
Yes, every everything we'll we're going to be saying when we describe this is going to be what she wrote in this book. Whether or not it's true is currently up for debate in the American legal system. But this is what she wrote in her book, and this is what we're reporting on because we're yeah. a book podcast and not a legal podcast. Yeah, and like I don't, I don't think Allison Carey is going to come listen to this podcast, but I just feel like it's worth noting. Yeah, they moved around thirteen times as a kid. Like she had thirteen different, you know, homes, apartments. One that she kept calling the shack. Like they were poor. Like she grew up in poverty and and wanting nicer things. Her parents got divorced when she was three or four. Um, and her siblings are also older than her, like eight or nine years older than mm-hmm. her. And when they first, when her parents first separated, her brother and sister legally couldn't be around each other. Or no, her father and brother couldn't legally be around each other. So for a while, her brother and she lived with her mother and then her sister lived with her dad. And then her brother ended up going somewhere else. I don't know if he moved out or what, but then it was just her and her mom and she would see her dad like once a week. And her mother raised her in various like affluent communities on Long Island, but like in, you know, the one apartment in town that was over the deli or like a tiny little house that everyone in town called the shack. And yeah, it was like near a garbage dump and she had a swing set that would like swing over garbage. Yeah. So she, her, her mother wanted to keep her in these affluent Long Island communities, but couldn't afford to stay there. So they were, you know, living in these largely white communities where she was going to all white schools and living like below the poverty line in contrast to the kids at school who were all pretty rich. So she just felt Mm -hmm. very awkward across the board. And like they would tease her. They'd be like, Mariah only has three outfits. And like, she did only have three outfits. She came up with this like clever once she got to a point where like she cared about clothes and stuff and she managed to like use what little money she had to like scrounge together some hip outfits. She came up with this scheme with her friends at school when she moved to a different school and she was like, hey, like so that we can all get like the best outfits out of like what we all have because we're all so fashion forward. What if we like trade clothes sometimes? And, like, to make new, better outfits. And her friends were like, yeah, that sounds great. (laughs) By the way, going back to the brother and father thing, that is one of the things under contention. But apparently it was, like, she described it as being physically abusive and, like, cops had to come and separate them. And she talks about the brother and father being very physically abusive to each other, which is something the brother denies. But eh, something happened. Some bad things happen. And this is another reason why the siblings are resentful of Mariah because she stayed with the mom and um, to them, at least their father, Alfred was more strict. And so they felt like Mariah was having the easier childhood living with Patricia. And so a lot of this book feels like it's her being like, you guys thought I had an easy childhood, but I didn't like, fuck you guys. And it seems like that message was not received. Yeah, there's a lot about her mother. Race, obviously race is just like a huge lightning rod in her childhood. There's like this feeling among her siblings and even among her in in places where like the reason her mother kept her quote unquote and not the other two is because she was quote-unquote white passing and the other two weren't and it allowed them to like move through these white neighborhoods without really raising an eye 
row, especially because a lot of the communities were there was a large Jewish population. So like her like curly hair and you know, some of her like slightly darker complexion kind of fit in more than it, you know, maybe would with her mother's like Irish family. And she is sort of trying to give some credit to her family members. Like her, her mother was white and gave up, you know, quote, gave up her parents and her more affluent life to marry her black husband because her parents were like racist as hell and semi disowned her for this. And then toward the end of her maternal grandmother's life, they sort of patched things up a little bit, but the grandmother only would see Mariah and not the other two grandkids again, because Mariah had lighter skin, which is fucked, you know? Yeah. It's really, it, it's, it, it was a bad time. It was a bad time for her all around, according to this book. Like it just, she had like some good moments in her childhood, but like largely, this like her mother's like low-key neglect and there was a lot of if we're not started putting together a venn diagram of similarities between this book and elvira's book and one Mm -hmm. of them is that like her mother ran very hot and cold to her and would was very jealous of her natural talent and like at one point she's telling the story about how they're in a car and they're listening to a pop song and her mother like sings along to it in a very like operatic fashion and she starts yeah. laughing it was it was the michael jackson part of um somebody's watching you yes yes more i started laughing and her mother was like angry about it I was like why are you laughing and she was just like oh well like that's not how the song goes and her mother like turned to her and said like you'll never be as talented a singer as me like you're you're you think you're good but you're not you'd be lucky to be half the singer that i am yeah and and so at that at that point, there's an aside, a flash to the future where she's like, and then one day in the future, I met my mother's two like opera idols. Yeah, Leontine Price. And she like quotes this entire letter that <laughs> Leontine Price wrote that was like, you're a superb artist. Yeah. And it's just like, you know what? I'm, I'm not even mad about this. Like <laughs> the few things that she highlights in her childhood are music. Like even though her mom was sometimes like jealous and mean of Mariah's five octave range, like her mom, no matter how poor they are, they always had a piano in the house. Mariah like always had music around. And also that her mom always sort of made an effort at Christmas and Christmas was like a special time And, you know, this is just breadcrumbs for, like, future Mariah, Queen of Christmas, obviously. There were a couple other, like, random things that happened in her childhood that I just, like, there, when her sister comes back from the Philippines, and again, like, legal, this is all in legal contention right now, but she kind of bounces around and starts visiting Mariah occasionally and you know sometimes she would be great and be like we're gonna talk and it's gonna be I'm gonna help you with things but like also there's a time where Mariah's mother and Allison had a fight Allison took Mariah with her when she left for her boyfriend's house then gave her a full volume and she was like eight and she like passed out on a strange couch in a strange place there's another time where she was clearly doing sex work and Mariah didn't realize it at the time because again she was like eight years old or maybe she was slightly older at that point but still yeah, very like very young. Yeah, young yeah um and so Allison was like taking her on like all these fun like 
activities with her new quote unquote boyfriend and they would go and play like arcade games and go out to eat and go to the drive-in and all this stuff. And then one day her sister installs a private phone line in her bedroom so that she can talk to her and like then starts calling her every night and saying like she's going to kill herself and making Mariah talk her down. And then during this period, this boyfriend who they went on that like fun afternoon with comes by and picks Mariah up and like it is very clear that he is like moments away from like raping her at a point yeah but they're in a public drive-in and there's a person in the car an old man in the car next to them who sees what's happening and it's like gets the boyfriend's attention and he like stops and brings her home and after that, whenever she sees his car in her neighborhood, like she has to run and hide because she knows he's coming to look for her again. Like it's like ter- terrible, terrible things. Yes. And then the other wild thing she has in common with Elvira is that allegedly she was badly burned as a child because Allison threw boiling tea on her. Yeah. Like she had to have her clothes cut off at the hospital yeah, because, because they the- had like melted Ugh. into her skin. Ugh. Bad bad yeah the the only other thing i want to mention if you know anything about mariah like is known for her marilyn monroe obsession like one of her children's named monroe she loves her this came in childhood like she read a a, like children's biography of marilyn monroe and like watched all her movies and knew that marilyn had also come from poverty and then become very glamorous and she latched on to that another thing that comes up throughout the book but especially in her childhood is that Mariah constantly refers to herself as like having like a wild sense of humor and I'm like so funny and like these are like the fun jokes I said but people didn't get my jokes and Mariah is not very funny she's just like fucking weird and it's like one description that she gives is popular girls in her school were into like a retro hippie vibe and Mariah was like, I didn't understand why they would be a retro hippie vibe when the current streetwear styles were so cool. So being the like funny smart aleck that I am, I nicknamed them the peace people. I'm like, Mariah, that's not really a joke. That's not anything. And she's like, hee hee, like what a funny joke. I call them the peace people. And the book is full of stuff like that where she's like, I'm very funny. And here's a funny joke I made. And I'm like, this is nothing. <laughs> <laughs> And that's okay, Mariah. She has a five-octave range. She doesn't have to be funny. (laughs) So anyway, the book is divided into parts. We'll wrap up part one, which is childhood stuff. Part two is entitled Sing Sing. And this is when she starts trying to pursue a music career and starts making demos and meets and marries Tommy Mottola, which is a a relatively, like, well-known and dark era of Mariah's life, I suppose. I don't know. Kate, how much did you know about this stuff? zero oh okay i mean i think i knew i knew i think that she had had like a bad marriage but i didn't know like not not to be glib about it it's terrible like the way he treated her was terrible and marriage not working is always terrible because people put a lot of emotional time and energy into making marriages work but like it's also so not uncommon for like famous people to have bad marriages that like i couldn't tell you any details about it that's fair and i mean this was like the 90s like we were pretty young when this happened like i don't think i was really aware of it until like after they were divorced like they were divorced in 1998 so anyway well we'll go back to when they met like by the way if you have seen the movie glitter which was 
Mariah's flop movie. It is pretty heavily based on Mariah's life. And so like this stuff is like in glitter. <laughs> anyway, so like she was working as a backup singer or like doing backup vocals on recording tracks. And so her friend Brenda, who she met that way, took her to this like industry party where she met Tommy Mottola, who was like very well-known record executive for Sony Music. I don't think he was the president of it then. I don't I don't really give a shit about Tommy Mottola's accomplishments, but he was like very powerful and influential in the record industry. And pretty early on, he like set his sights on like very naive little 18-year-old Mariah. This is actually another kind of wild thing that Mariah's book and Elvira's book had in common is they both were like even though I was like sexy and beautiful like I kept my virginity for like longer than anyone expected so Mariah is like pretty like sexually inexperienced and pretty naive she also she talks specifically which is interesting because it's like the opposite of Elvira how when early on when she's first back on Long Island doing demos and trying to get like musician work there she would always get these work with these guys whose like wives and girlfriends would hang around because they didn't trust her because she was so young and beautiful even though she was literally like 15 16 at this time and these were like either late teen or young adult men so she started to consciously like play up her little girl so that she wouldn't be seen as a sex object to people when she was working as a backup singer in her early days in the music industry like she didn't have a ton of clothes to begin with but like she had she came with like a uniform for when she did backup singer gigs where she wore like you know like a little crocheted dress and like sneakers and did her hair a certain way so that she wouldn't come off as like trying to take the spotlight from anyone and wouldn't come off as like trying to attract men attention which is is very it's very like the opposite of what elvira was like yeah i'm gonna do this but i don't want to have sex but i do want to be sexy which is like legit yeah i mean they're both legit they're both legit either way the patriarchy is a prison and we must all escape from it yes and mariah literally begins to refer to herself as a prisoner once she marries tommy matola which he is like 20 years older than her 20 ish he's older he's you know very powerful he's in charge of her record contract it's not a good situation and they build this beautiful like mansion together in it's it's near where sing sing jail is like in westchester area new york like outside of the city like close to it but far enough away that she's pretty isolated and they build this like mansion that she starts pretty early on calling sing sing like the prison but also because she's a singer it's one of her better jokes i guess but also a huge bummer by the way a lot of the details that she starts sprinkling in here i do feel like end up being like justification for her pretty famous like breakdown and arrest like she's sprinkling some crumbs here which also includes that she's the one who also bought a nice house for her mom like she has had this fraught relationship with her mother but now she's like i have money i'm gonna buy a nice house for you like near my house and she talks about like all the time and effort she spent into making like a nice house for her mother yeah she it's interesting how quickly she goes from like you know because she's very talented she's obviously very talented but yeah she like moves to the city when she's 17 she starts getting work as a backup singer everyone she works with is very impressed with her and finally like she makes friends doing backup work for this girl who has like a hit song on the radio who's able to introduce her to these like record bigwigs and it's very funny because she starts the book off talking about like the passage of time and how she doesn't think of time in years 
year, she thinks of time and like seasons and Christmases and things like that. And how when she turned 18, she like cried all night because she'd never record contract yet. And that was like how she knew she would have made it. And like, in reality, Jesus fucking Christ, like that is you're a baby still. But yeah, like she just was so single minded, like she wanted to get out of this home life. And she did but then into this like, also bad different home life. Yeah, but she so she like her first record contract was like literally for a million dollars. Yeah, it was she she did not need to I mean, she obviously had a very terrible like childhood and you know she she definitely grew up in poverty but she didn't have to struggle very long as a musician before that's true which i don't think i was aware of like i i don't think i realized how young she was when she Mm. had like those first hits yeah but yeah she was a baby just a little guy Uh, (laughs) another thing mariah had in common with elvira is I mean, Elvira's obsessed with the Beatles. Mariah, I would say, wasn't obsessed with them, but she watched a documentary about them and used them as a cautionary tale, like, when she was making her contracts. And she was like, oh, my God, the Beatles, like, didn't own the rights to their songs. Like, fuck that. I'm not doing that. And so even though she was, like, naive and didn't really have a lawyer for this contract and she definitely got screwed in some other ways, she did hang on to her songwriting rights. And there's parts where she talks about people wanting to buy certain songs of hers for a soundtrack or something or whatever and she's like no this is mine and then it went on to become one of my many number one singles when i did it and you know what good for her good for her but yeah so she she's she builds this house with tommy and at first very quickly it goes from being like oh yeah like i'm gonna get your record made to like oh like i have romantic overtures for you and she didn't like him like she kind of makes this clear in the book that like she wasn't attracted to him romantically or sexually but she was desperately in need emotionally of someone to would who would take care of her in a way that she felt she was not truly taken care of before this so it was very easy for her as like a young woman first in the music industry who was being wooed by this like famous producer to be like yeah okay this sounds good and it's also like what she had seen her mom do like after her mom divorced her father like there was a string of these kind of like shitty boyfriends who maybe sometimes financially supported them but didn't always do that so you know she she had this as an example this is what you do she tried to to throw herself into like okay well like she didn't really want this house. She wanted to live in Manhattan, but she was like, okay, but like, I never had a house as a child. So I'm going to make this house mine. Like I'm going to build a family here. So I'm going to live here forever with this man. And I'm going to really like concentrate on making this house what I want it to be. But like, it was at least she describes it as being very like, I do feel very bad. The only reason I keep saying she describes it as is because there's like so many legal things going on around this book. Like we never do this for other people's memoirs. So I'm going to try and make myself stop. Yeah, um, like Tommy Mattel is not saying her. Yeah. So so she 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 like throws herself into kind of like making it what she wants it to be, even though she doesn't want really to live there. But she feels like this is what she's supposed to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bummer. And then we also get into like the racism of it all here because Tommy like wants to control her appearance and talks about wanting her to wear her hair a certain way that so that she would look Italian instead of looking like a black woman. You know, when we read the Ani DeFranco memoir and I was saying I wish she talked more about her songs, Mariah talks a lot about them and a lot of them are songs that I'm not as familiar with because I guess, you know, 
I'm not necessarily a true fan of her music, but she'll talk about getting such and such rapper to appear in this and like talks about the process of recording like a lot of songs. Like I'm certain that the lambs love this book. Like if you want a lot of ins and outs of recordings of specific songs and albums, like she's giving it to you. She's telling you like what inspired certain songs like very directly. Yeah. But I didn't know a lot of the songs. But she talks about like like rappers even I've heard of. Like I'm not a very knowledgeable about rap but it's like i wanted this like young up-and-coming artist jay-z to be in my album and tommy Mottola was like no like rappers are too black basically and she, like she did end up with jay-z but like there's some that he ended up preventing her from working with and sometimes he was like even though he was like a racist asshole like he did respect my musical talents and my judgment and so that's why i did get to work with buster rhymes but like he didn't want me to and so there's like a lot of that yeah and it's and also a lot of like even just in general in her life very controlling like Mm -hmm. this is very heartbreaking i mean a lot of it is very heartbreaking but she talks about how she was doing a like after her album her first album came out and it was like a runaway hit and she won two grammys and was nominated for like three more and it was on the billboard charts for like a hundred million weeks and she had a bazillion singles from it and he kept her from really understanding like the level of fame she had achieved to the point where she was going to record like a thanksgiving special or something yeah like a a filmed like live concert yeah and as she's driving through the streets she sees all this police presence and these barricades up and she starts to panic and she's like when she gets there she's like oh my god like what is happening why are all these police here or something wrong they're like the people at the venue were like, well, no, they're here for you because your fans started, heard you were going to be here and started lining the streets like 12 hours ago and we needed crowd control. And like up until that point, it had not occurred to her that she had like fans. Yeah, it's really heartbreaking. Uh, and she throughout this book, she talks about how her fans, the lambs, like gave her power. And she is also known for this, for like having a close relationship with her fans and for even before social media, having like a website where she would have messages for fans and like doing a lot to connect with fans as best she could. And this is partly why, like when she was so cut off from everything else, like her fans I mean, this was really important to her to know that people like were listening and like loved her and she loved them back. Also, she noted, by the way, people are like, why is Mariah Carey call her fans lambs? She does mention it in the book. She's close friends with another artist, Trey Lawrence. I'm not very familiar with him, but she talks about how she and him had, they would do this, like, they like to watch old movies and they would have this like old Hollywood affectation and they would like call each other like a darling and lamb. And the the fans heard that and started calling themselves lambs because they like heard her and listened to her in a way that like her shitty ass husband didn't do. So that's lambs. Anyway, there's another, another terrible, horrible thing this man did to her. There are so many. This one also felt like particularly egregious is her, I think it was her, her stylist and her dresser. Yeah, and her, her makeup artist, by the makeup way, artist. Billy B of RuPaul's Drag Race fame. Oh, okay. <laughs> they realized that she was feeling like so cut off from like her own fame that they 
collected this scrapbook where they went to like different celebrities who were fans of hers and got them to like write nice notes to her and like stuff like that and put it all together in a book and she never even saw it because Tommy didn't like what some like hip male celebrity that, of the time that Joey Lawrence imagine Joey Lawrence I can't Joey, believe I Lawrence. It was Joey Lawrence it was Joey Lawrence oh of Blossom <laughs> yeah he didn't like something Joey Lawrence put in the book so he burned it in the fireplace and she yeah. didn't even get a chance to see it yeah not even like tear out the joey page burn the whole book fuck this man he is on my enemies list yeah for sure another moment from this time that i think is is a sort of more well-known anecdote mariah became friends with the rapper Debrat, who who is in Glitter, the movie, by the way. And Debrat came over to the house to, like, work on music together. And the, their house had, a, like, a recording studio and stuff in it, which was allegedly convenient, but it really meant that, like, Mariah never had to leave the house to because she could just record stuff in the house. It was just another way of, like, keeping her there. And so Mariah is like, oh, hey, hey, brat, you want to go and get french fries? And she has to, like, orchestrate this escape. They have to, like, I'm going to do this as one of the dramatic readings so you'll get the whole details. But, like, it's so dramatic. And then, because there's, like, cameras and audio, like, she is monitored ever in the house except the bathroom and the closet. And they have to, like, sneak out. And then everyone starts calling Debrat's cell phone. And Debrat is, like, 19. And she's, like, at first she's, like, joking. And she's, like, you know, you'll never catch us. Ha, ha, ha. And then she's, like, Mariah, this is fucked up. Like, why is everyone calling? And so that also helps Mariah realize, like, oh, yeah, this is really fucked up actually like just sort of getting to see another person's reaction to it yeah it's like it's just this section of the book is just anecdote after anecdote of like terrible things that this man did and made her do many of which at the time she didn't even realize were like as bad as they were yeah and it's the kind of thing where like she's like and i know people wouldn't necessarily have sympathy for me they'd be like oh she's like this rich pop star in this like beautiful house but like it was my jail it was my sing sing and and i think there is definitely especially in the 90s that people would not necessarily take this as seriously because it's like oh it's mariah carey like she's so famous Uh, but like this sucked she even when she's talking about like buying a house for her mother this might have been earlier whatever it was it was when she was in a relationship with tommy even if it was before she was married with him to him she was buying a house for her mother and she was going around looking at properties and did not know then but would later find out that he was so upset about the fact that she was leaving the house without him that he was sending people to follow her yeah There were people who, like, followed her around Westchester County to make sure she was really doing what she said she was doing. Yeah. Ugh. Anyway, this is a five-year period that we're kind of condensing. Yeah. She was having stress hives. She was just, like, really worn down by this, obviously. She did finally get to start couples therapy with Tommy, and she was really skeptical of it because Tommy had suggested it, and she was like, oh, the therapist is just going to be another person that Tommy controls. But it sounds like it was actually, she was like an actual like reputable therapist who was like, no, Tommy, this is too controlling. Like you are being unreasonable. Mariah needs to be able to do things on her own. And so she starts getting some baby steps thanks to this actually good couples therapist. Oh, throughout this, Mariah talks about wanting also to be an actress and Tommy 
Tommy really doesn't want that because A, he's not as plugged into movies, so he wouldn't be able to control her as much. And he's very possessive and like doesn't want people to like look at her, basically. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of reasons. But she wants to be an actress and she starts getting to take acting lessons. There's this really heartbreaking moment where her acting coach wants her to do an exercise and like close her eyes and imagine a safe space and she like can't do it and the coach is like maybe like your childhood bedroom and she's like no that wasn't a safe place like i've never had a safe place yeah don't worry now she does though it's now she does but in the time like so she's making these baby steps toward like getting freedom and then they have to negotiate like permission for her to attend an event not even without Tommy, but to be able to, like, sit at a different table from Tommy or, like, talk to people without Tommy there. Uh, and it's this, like, fundraiser gala for the Fresh Air Fund, which is an organization that she's partnered with to support, like, camps for underprivileged youth. And this is where she meets Derek Jeter, which is, you know, an, an iconic 90s public relationship. Which I but- did not know about. <laughs> I mean, I knew, I knew theoretically, like I knew that it wasn't like a secret and the book makes it very clear that it's not, it wasn't like a secret romance, but it was, I was not expecting it. And I was like, this is is wild. (laughs) I mean, I'll say, and this is me, A, not knowing about baseball and B, being like a a dumb white person. I didn't know Derek Jeter was mixed race. I I didn't know, I guess I didn't know what Derek Jeter looked like, to be honest, but that's a big point of connection for them is that they're both like part black and part Irish specifically. But so meeting Derek Jeter and having this like long conversation, deep connection with him is like her being like, okay, like I don't want to like cheat on my husband because I am a Christian woman and I do not want to cheat on the vows of marriage, but I got to get out of here. And so she, you know, starts making moves in that direction as one last shitty thing. Tommy like puts a butter knife to her throat, which fucking Tommy god and here's why this is terrible i mean it's everything that he's done is terrible but like very clearly this is it is not a moment of him doing a show of like hurting her but like you know it's not because it's not like a threat because the knife is dangerous it's a threat because it's a power that he still has like it's and he's doing it at like a dinner at their house and there's like three other rappers and like music industry people at the table and they like don't do anything about it yeah and so that was like really that they were like oh they like looked and they're like this is uncomfortable for us to be here but none of them was like stop it like if it was a dangerous weapon it would be shitty no matter what obviously if he hurt with her with a dangerous weapon that would be shitty obviously but the fact that it's not a dangerous weapon is just it then it's just a power move Mm-hmm. And I just hated it so much. It sucks. But then they did get a divorce. And here's a fun fact I didn't know. They went to, specifically to the Dominican Republic, where I served in Peace Corps, to get divorced because apparently that's the fastest way to get your divorce process, which I did not know. I guess, like, average people are not going on divorce vacations to the DR, <laughs> but... All right. So they did that. And then she immediately immediately went from the DR, like straight to the DR to like visit Derek Jeter, like just with her plain clothes. And my notes in this chapter also reveal that Mariah loves the jerky boys, which is so funny to me, (laughs) which was they did like crank phone calls and released albums of their crank phone calls. George Michael and Arrested Development is also obsessed with the jerky boys. And I feel like this is such an emblematic fact about Mariah Carey's sense of humor. (laughs) 
like she loves the jerky boys um but she also loves the jeter family and she talks really movingly about like after like getting with Derek and dating him and meeting his family and realizing like they're this like loving and happy mixed race family with like a black dad and white mom who are like still married and love each other and all the siblings got along and that just being like really healing for her to see that like oh you can do this and it's just that my family was fucked up you know and i will say like as uh, as a person who grew up in a yankees baseball household that was especially obviously prevalent in my life in the 90s into early 2000s when i could not escape said house i mean that that when talking about this that makes it sound very bad when i was too young <laughs> to have the sort of autonomy when, that could get when me you out, didn't have a driver's license when i didn't have a driver's license and <laughs> didn't have a car i didn't have the autonomy to leave the house whenever it was a lot of weekends of listening to and watching yankee baseball games my father and brother and my father's uncle and mother and everyone my father's whole family was very yankees and it was very present in our household so i was aware of that about Derek jeter and probably a lot more aware of various things about the yankees than i a person who does not know sports would normally know so obviously mariah and Derek jeter's relationship didn't last but she talks about it being very like amicable and very like important to her like still like clearly thinks fondly of Derek and and the whole Jeter family yeah it sounds like it was a very healthy rebound for her to be like yeah uh, like here's a healthy family a healthy relationship with a man who respects me and who doesn't keep me locked in a giant mansion that he built for me where the only place I can be by myself is the bathroom. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. like, even though it it probably was bound to not work out because those were the circumstances she was previously in, like, it sounds like it was a really healthy time in her life to kind of realize what life could be like when you weren't hopping directly from poverty into the arms of a controlling monster. Yeah. Okay, unfortunately, she's still got a lot of shit to get through. So moving on to part three, which is entitled All That Glitters, a reference to her movie Glitter, which was a notorious flop for a lot of reasons that we'll get into. And so because Glitter, it's like Columbia Pictures, which is still owned by Sony or something. And like, it's a production company that is associated with Sony. So Tommy Mottola is still behind the scenes, like fucking things up and fucking up the soundtrack, which is obviously important for a Mariah Carey movie called Glitter. And so notably, the lead single from the Glitter soundtrack is Lover Boy. And originally... She had written it and produced it using a sample of a song called Firecracker. And Tommy, like behind the scenes, got JLo's song I'm Real to come up before hers using that same sample. And then she wasn't allowed to use that sample and she had to use something else. So, like, really last minute, she had to like redo the song Lover Boy. And Mariah and JLo now allegedly have this like ongoing feud that famous gif of mariah saying i don't know her you know it that's (sighs) her talking about jennifer lopez who she obviously does know (laughs) but does not care to speak about which in fairness to j-lo i'm sure j-lo did not realize this is what was happening you know what i mean but it, it was very hurtful to mariah so then also by the way she like talks a lot about this and then she's like P.S. At the end of the day, like Loverboy was the number one single of that year. And then in italics, I'm real. <laughs> okay. okay, we get her out. <laughs> Listen, she's got the best sense of humor. We 
you get it. But like, also, good for her. That's yeah. valid. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of, like, like I said earlier, like, I was aware that glitter was a thing. I was not very aware of anything else about it, aside from, you know, it being, it being ever-presently advertised. But there's a lot, it goes into a lot of the nitty gritty of like how, if you're interested in like the behind the scenes of this like cult classic flop movie, like she does spend like a couple chapters that really like go into the nitty gritty of making it. Making it and like how behind the scenes Tommy Mottola was like sabotaging it at every turn in every way that he could. But this is not Tommy Mottola's fault that 9-11 happened, but 9-11 also really did hurt glitter, frankly. Like... (laughs) Not the number one thing that was damaged by 9-11, but it was up there. Um, Because that came out September 21st, 2001. I think it was originally supposed to come out earlier and it was delayed slightly. But, you you know, people were not in the mood for glitter at that time. And one thing that Mariah really is not taking, she's, it's not a great movie. It's not a great movie. Yes. But it's fun. Like, I do think if it had come out not around 9-11, it probably would have done at least a little bit better. But it's very cheesy. Like, I enjoy it because I like a, like a teen pop movie, but it's like very silly. The How Did This Get Made episode about it is very good. If you like a high camp movie, I would recommend watching Glitter. But it's, let's be real. I'm real. I'm here to tell you. It's not like a great movie, but... It's fine. It's no Spice World. I don't know. I've it's never seen no, it. Oh, it is no Spice World. <sighs> no, I've never seen, glitter, never seen glitter. I've seen Spice World. Okay. Okay. I was going to be like, pause the podcast. We have to address this immediately. No, no. We watched um, Spice, Spice World together. Okay. I was like, I can't remember everyone. I've seen Spice World. Okay. I've seen it a lot of times. <laughs> uh thank god though the movie flopped is the thing but she was still working hard to promote the movie to to promote the soundtrack and she was she describes like working yourself to exhaustion for this and being like so stressed that tommy is still out here like fucking things up and she couldn't sleep she couldn't sleep and people kept like coming to her home to like demand that she go and like get up to do like a radio interview or they kept like blowing up her phone and so she went to go and stay with a, a friend of hers whose name is Marianne Tatum, a.k.a. Tots. She goes to stay with Tots, who, you know, just lives in like a normal apartment because she is like a backup singer and not Mariah Carey. And so she's experiencing some peace there. But then her brother Morgan, allegedly, comes to get her and is like, hey, um, why don't you come with me and we'll go stay with our mom? Like, I know you're stressed. And she goes with him to their mom's house, which she bought, remember, and she gets there and she's describing that she hasn't slept in six days and she's exhausted and like so stressed and so frazzled. And she just like wants to sleep in this house that she bought. But first, like she gets there and she sees that the house is a mess and like she always likes things like nice and clean, but her mom is messy. So she says that she wanted to do the dishes first because the sink was full of dirty dishes. And she's like, I can't rest if this house is messy. And so she starts doing dishes and then like doesn't finish all the dishes, but like decides to go try to get some sleep. And then her mom comes and wakes her up and is like, Mariah, someone's like looking for you here. And Mariah, like, snaps. She's exhausted. She's like, I just came here to let me sleep. Like, let me sleep. And then she starts being like, you you always say you did the best you could, but, like, you were not a good mom to me. And, like, all I need right now is just to sleep. Like, I don't even want you to, like, take care of me like a mom. Like, just, like, really blowing up at her mom. And then here's a quote from Mariah. 
When my mother feels scared, her complete assurance in the historic evidence that whiteness will always be protected activates. She often calls the cops. At various times, she'd called the cops on my brother, my sister, and even my sister's children. Dot, dot, dot. I really don't want a lot for Christmas, particularly not the cops. <laughs> Joke. Joke from Mariah. But yeah, then, if uh, you could call it that. <laughs> if you can call it that. But this is a bummer moment because then Mariah's mom, like Mariah describes it as she's just like yelling at her mom because she's tired and stressed. But Mariah's mom calls the cops and she says, though the officers were technically in my house, their attention was directed towards my mother. She gave them an odd knowing look, which felt like the equivalent of a secret society handshake, some sort of white woman in distress cop code. She had been defied and I had dared to be belligerent, which snaps. Okay. Like, yeah, I'm yeah, that sucks. Mariah and her brother are both like hauled off by the police officers. And I mentioned the dishes thing specifically because that was like in the news at that time. It was like, I guess her mom's side of it was like Mariah like was throwing dishes and breaking dishes and in Mariah's accounting, it was that she had been trying to wash the dishes, but she was too tired and she just like dropped some of them. But the the pieces of broken dishes on the floor were like noted by the cops. And so there's a lot actually about the dishes because she is trying to tell her side of this dishes issue. Anyway, sucks. Totally sucks. Fuck you, Mrs. Carey. Um, yeah. And then... Oh God, this, this is, see, this is what I mean. I think Mariah is a good writer. That night I did not have a breakdown. I was broken down by the very people who were supposed to keep me whole. That's like some Oprah shit. <laughs> and compliment. That's some Oprah shit parentheses complimentary. The police, like they don't arrest her and she asked them to take her to a spa. And this is, I'm not really clear, and I guess Mariah isn't either. She describes it as something that's not a spa, but something more like a juvenile detention center. But it wasn't, like, she wasn't really arrested. It may be some kind of hospital. I don't know. She was, But it took her, like, several days to sign herself out of this that she describes as being, like, very bleak and bad conditions. And the white intake officer told her, quote, Looks like you need a dose of humility. That guy's on my enemies list. Yeah. So yeah, this was, it was not giving her like the help and rest she needed. It was a bad scene. It it showed her that she like couldn't trust her family. It sucked. Then after she did get out, she tried again. She was like, look, I do need to relax. I do need to rest. I still am exhausted. I need to go to like an actual fucking spa. And her brother was like, okay, I'll take you to one. But instead he put her into like a, a, like a rehab detox facility, which she wasn't, you know, drinking or using drugs. She was just, and again, I know this is always kind of like what celebrities say, like when they do need rehab, just cause like our culture talking about rehab is fucked. But that like, if someone says exhaustion, a lot of times it's code but it this seems like it was just like legit exhaustion and like coping with trauma. Uh, anyway, it wasn't it wasn't the facility she needed. And again, she like wanted to get out of this place. And literally, then nine eleven happened while she was in this yes, rehab facility. I was about to say. <laughs> yeah. And then they're like, okay, fine, like get out of here. It's nine eleven. Goodbye. And and then you know she's also upset about nine eleven because it was upsetting. Uh, and so there's some of that. Glitter does flop. 
And then Mariah finally gets, like, a good therapist and, like, finds a good church. And that's something that is important to her. Like, she is pretty religious. So that, after all that, she is finally starting to be in kind of, like, a healing place. Thanks to therapy and church. And creating some healthy boundaries with her family, she says. Although, again, allegedly. Now we're into part four of the book, which is called Emancipation. In tribute to her album, The Emancipation of Mimi. There's kind of a lot in here that's like ins and out. Like she changed record labels a bunch of times, which wasn't that interesting to me. If you were someone who like wanted a lot of record industry stuff that's in here. Oh, we didn't, we did not talk about TRL. Oh shit. Yeah. That was in here too. Yes. Yeah. That was before, this is another like iconic famous Mariah moment. Before the thing at her mom's house with the dishes, like one of the ways that they made her promote glitter was to go on TRL, Total Request Live, if you're a young person, which was, you know, a hugely popular show as depicted in Josie and the Pussycats, the best movie ever. Yes. And the setup of it was that she was going to, they were going to set it up as if it was a surprise. And she was going to come out and be like, surprise, Carson, I'm here to promote glitter. And I brought my little ice cream truck or like, you know, cart and I'm bringing up popsicles. And of course it wasn't a surprise. Like to be on TRL and to get your like ice cream cart there, you're like, it had to be set up in advance, but it was supposed to be built like a surprise. But Carson acted too surprised. And then she was like going to take off her overshirt to reveal that she was wearing like an outfit, like the like a tank top, like the glitter poster. And Carson was like, oh my God, like Mariah's stripping and just like acted like inappropriately surprised by it to the extent that all the media was like, oh my God, Mariah Carey like crashed TRL and like started stripping. And that became like the dominant media narrative of what happened, even though that doesn't make sense. Yeah, it doesn't. It's it's very clear. And like she even says, like her producers had to talk to the TRL producers and her agent had to talk to this person, need to get all of these clearances in order to even be in the building. Like it wasn't if you think about it for two seconds, like the entire media story falls apart. And also that like they definitely made it seem like she was like taking off all her clothes and grinding on Carson's laptop list when really it was like, oh, look, like I'm wearing another outfit underneath my first outfit. Yeah. Ugh. Hashtag justice for glitter. By the way, uh, she does talk about the hashtag justice for glitter, which was that in 2019, I think, or no, the 20th anniversary, whatever. At some recent moment, the Lambs got the glitter soundtrack to be at number one by like making a concerted effort to stream it so it would hit number one, which they also did later with uh, All I Want for Christmas, which had never actually been a number one before. And then they figured out how to like scam the charts, and be like we're all going to do this and like do this for Mariah, our queen. The Lambs get shit done. Apparently. Yeah. They're like those, the K pop people. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So. Back to part four, Emancipation. This is where, you know, Mariah's vibing and thriving, finally. A lot of record label stuff. I didn't know that she dated Luis Miguel, who she says is called The Latin Elvis, which I hadn't heard before. But, like, I have heard Luis Miguel's music. Like, if you ever listen to Spanish language radio, he's huge. Not not as much in the English world. She talks pretty respectfully about that relationship that like it had some ups and downs and ultimately didn't work out. Yeah, it's very it's a like kind of the same. I mean, I guess after like living through that terrible marriage, it's hard to find fault in other like normal 
bad relationships but you know she's just like same thing as the thing with Derek Jeter like she talks about you know it lasted for like three or four years and sometimes it was good and sometimes it was bad and in the end they weren't going to work together so they parted ways but yeah I had never heard of him before but I've never heard of most people before yeah I mean it's only because of me living in the DR and listening to a lot of like Spanish language radio there uh, this is yeah the Emancipation of Mimi album comes out here she had like a, a flirtation with a background dancer on tour love that for her mm-hmm. a sad chapter where her dad dies of cancer and they have yeah. sort of a she was never on the as bad of terms with her dad as she was with the rest of her family but it was still kind of rocky but they sort of reconciled and that was a nice moment and then after that she she read the book Push by Sapphire on a beach trip which to me is a wild beach read (laughs) yeah i mean i can't talk i read the hunger games as a beach read so but yeah that's like that's like a page well i actually haven't read push so i don't know it just seems like it would be a downer but she read it she loved it and then of course starred not starred had a excellent supporting role in precious based on the novel push by sapphire you know won won some awards like was well regarded for her performance in the film precious yes uh, which was very validating to her as someone who you know had had to fight to take acting lessons and then had glitter be a flop and then she was like see look i am a good actress good for her yeah there's a lot I love this chapter where she talks about all the time she was on VH1 Divas Live, which, as you can guess, I I love the Divas Live <laughs> moment. Shocking. <laughs> which, if you don't know, is on VH1. They would they would do these like they would pick a diva like Aretha Franklin, and then have usually kind of like younger, more up and coming like women artists like do tributes to these divas and like do their songs and you know duets and just. You know, this is this was before there was like verses on Instagram and stuff like that. You had to have big moments on VH1. Yes. Anyway, Mariah did a lot of these and she talks about some like fun behind the scenes moments. One of them is that something happened and she was supposed to have this fancy dress for this like reveal, like this costume change reveal where like she and Whitney Houston were going to like keep changing outfits and she had to like call the police to have them like create a police escort so she could go back and like quickly get her wardrobe from like the airport or the hotel. So I already forgot those details, but here's the quote that day. The police saved my one of a kind dress moment. If only someone could have saved our once in a lifetime, Whitney Houston. (laughs) Uh, I mean, true though. Um, (laughs) That's such a funny and weird segue. Yeah. And then after this, this is when she marries Nick Cannon, right? Yeah. And has their twins, Moroccan and Monroe. Yes. And it is, he proposes by putting the engagement ring in a Hello Kitty lunchbox, which did did make me think of you. I love that. And with like ring pops, like the candy ring pops and then one real diamond ring in the Hello Kitty lunchbox. Loved it. Very cute you know it seemed like it was a fun time here's my favorite maybe celebrity name drop is the first person mariah told that she was pregnant was michelle obama (laughs) because she performed at the white house and then like in the receiving line of meeting michelle she just like whispered it in her ears very funny to me yeah she doesn't say very much about nick really here's a quote honestly i think nick and i could have worked it out between the two of us 
but egos and emotions get inflamed, which can translate into many billable lawyer hours. And ultimately, it did. Yeah, it was another another relationship that just seemed like a normal relationship where sometimes things just don't work out and it's sad and nobody threatens another person with a butter knife. Yeah, and like she talks about him still being there for the kids and just it's clearly she clearly loves her twins so much and just really takes a lot of pride in making like a nice home for the twins unlike what she had. And, you know, she doesn't she doesn't say shit about Nick Cannon having like three other sets of twins with other women, which is also weird. Strong genes in that family. Wild. There is a chapter that is called A Little Bit About a Few Good Men. And it's oh just her doing name drop anecdotes about like, a about few men that. who were nice to her. Here is the list of men from that chapter. Carl Lagerfeld, the designer. Nelson Mandela. <laughs> Muhammad Ali. <laughs> Stevie Wonder. Those are the four men <laughs> who are good. <laughs> These are the only four good men. <laughs> the only four. And then the the last chapter is called Snow Globe of Joy. And she talks about like some of her Christmas traditions and like how important Christmas is to her. And this is when she talks about the lambs getting all I want for Christmas to number one. Thank you, lambs. It's sweet. Yeah, it's nice. It was a, a solid little book about wild things that happened. It felt a little front heavy. I feel like, uh, which I think is just like, because that's like her life had all of these terrible things happen in it in the beginning. And then like, kind of got more like not perfect, but more chill and less fraught. Yeah, but I love that. I love that for her. And then there's like a, a nice little epilogue that's just kind of like, generic inspirational speech about like you can like i overcame things and you can overcome things and it's very cliche but it was nice yeah yeah i obviously enjoyed this book a lot um yeah let's move into our dramatic readings okay so here is something that you might not know about me especially because i'm not on twitter anymore i i go through phases i get I don't know how to describe this without making it sound even more weird than it is. I, just as as a symptom of my own behavioral health issues, sometimes it's very difficult for me to feed myself. And what I will do is kind of just eat one thing all the time, which I think many of us do, especially in the year of our Lord 2021, the Satan year, Satan year part two, it happens. What I have been eating basically nonstop since uh, about a year ago is Ritz crackers. That is, I literally buy them by the box and eat them by the sleeve. And that is lunch for me most days, which I all say as background to why I was delighted and felt that this was a very apropos section for me to read. It's from early on in the book about her childhood, about the Sundays that she would spend with her father. My father's approach to most things was efficient and militaristic. He considered the act of snacking frivolous. If I was hungry while waiting for dinner, he would give me one Ritz cracker. One. The allure of that bright red box with its iconic swirl of golden sunflower-shaped crackers rising out of their wax sleeves was intoxicating. He would pull out one tall column of crackers undo the meticulously folded sleeve top, slip a single cracker from the stack and hand it to me delicately, as if it were a precious gem. 
Then he would carefully refold the paper, slide the stack back into the box, and return it to its place on the shelf where it would stay. I'd hold the buttery, salty, crunchy goodness up to my nose, close my eyes, and breathe in one long, luxurious sniff. With precision, I would take one teeny-weeny bite along the scalloped edge. I'd chew ever so slowly, letting the savory sensation linger on my tongue. Turning the golden treasure ever so slightly, I would nibble off another little piece of the edge, relishing every grain of salt and crumb, making my one cracker last as long as I could. Ironically, the slogan on the box was, there's only one Ritz. And for me, there really was. Yeah, see, I think that's good. I think that is a great, like, set of paragraphs about Ritz crackers. It is. I love, I want a Ritz cracker right now, but we have to keep recording and that would be bad audio. Yeah, we'll do a Ritz cracker challenge on YouTube later. (laughs) Um, Okay, I'm going to read Mariah and DeBrat going to Burger King. We sat on the floor of my shoe closet and kicked it for a bit. We were both Aries, both super silly, and both believed in an awesome god. I was having so much fun with Brat, but I knew we couldn't stay hidden for too long. Surely security would get suspicious and expose my one safe room in the house. I never knew who was listening, so I whispered to Brat, Want to go get some french fries? In any other reality, this would have been a mundane suggestion, but in mine, it was about to be a full-scale caper. As we emerged from the closet, I put my finger to my mouth and pointed at the wall, giving her the signal to be quiet and follow my lead. I chirped on about showing her around the rest of the property, then announced that I wanted to quickly show her the cars. We skipped along to the garage. Inside, there was a fleet of cars. Several of them were mine, most of which I never drove, in part because I was always being driven. I pointed at the black Mercedes convertible and told Brat to get in quickly. I always kept the keys inside the car, so in a matter of seconds I had the engine going. I threw it into gear and we whipped around the cul-de-sac, then sped down the driveway and out onto the open road. Suddenly, there I was, flying down the street in my sports car with my new cool homegirl, laughing deep and loud in the bright wintry afternoon sun. It was exhilarating. Brat and I had broken out the big house. While we were out playing Black Thelma and Louise, Escape from Alcatraz was not playing so well back at Storybook Manor. I understood that security was necessary, but why was it necessary for them all to be white with blue eyes and black guns? They were going berserk. Before we got the mile or so down the road to the Burger King, Brat's phone began to ring. I could hear JD yelling on the other end, Yo, Brat, get the fuck back here. They're going crazy. Brat laughed in the phone and replied, I ain't driving. Mariah is. Anyway, they did get the French fries, which is good, but ugh. so glad. So glad Mariah is free now. Yeah. All right. And then just one quick other dramatic reading. <laughs> this is a statement that I think is so wild and so strange, but I do think for Mariah Carey and her experiences, it does make sense, but it's so strange. Okay. After Glitter, many people wrote me off. But as Jimmy Jam said, don't ever write Mariah Carey off. And I say don't ever write anyone off. You don't ever know where strength will come from. 
I always go to my main source for strength, faith in God, but also love for my fans and all the people who didn't give up on their faith in me. This is not to say I don't struggle with PTSD from the collective events of my childhood, my marriage, and the dark glitter years. I work on my emotional recovery daily. But it is truly fascinating how insignificant the press has become in making or breaking an artist's career and shaping our narrative. I still feel like parts of the media are patiently waiting for me to have another spectacular meltdown. Actually, I've noticed now some people stage breakdowns for publicity. But the difference is, in today's world, they don't matter. Now all artists have an unfiltered voice and enormous public platforms through social media. The tabloids have become the pathetic, rubbish, wrapping paper I've always known them to be. They are out of power. They cannot hunt and destroy any more of us. Our fans can come to our defense, bring all the receipts, and create a united front so strong that no bland host or commentator or ravenous paparazzi can even begin to compete with their influence. We are the media. I only wish Princess Di had lived long (laughs) enough to have Instagram or Twitter. I wish she had lived to see the people become the press. Perhaps she and others would have lived to tell their story. I am so grateful to my fans. I'm alive to tell mine. Now, some of this is very lovely, but wishing that Princess Di had Instagram? Saying that Instagram could have saved Princess Diana's life? Oh, Raya! This book came out last year. Like, I'm pretty sure Meghan Markle had already been driven off the internet at this point. What are you talking about? And it, it should be noted, too, that, like, she did, Mariah did, like, like her wedding was based on Princess Di's wedding. Like, it was very... But it, it is such a, it is such a, so it, it doesn't come as totally out of nowhere as you would think, mm-hmm. but it is yeah. still pretty out of nowhere and a pretty radical thing to say in this day and age of people being, normal people being canceled off Twitter at the drop of a hat and people of color being, and I'm using canceled in air quotes here, you can't see it because it's a podcast People of color being canceled off social media like in half the time of a drop of a hat for like completely innocuous things like, you know, being black. Like it's it's a it is a a radical statement to say that Instagram is so wild. Yeah. Yeah. Save Diana. But again, it is clear that the lambs have like really been there for Mariah. But not everyone has a lamely. Okay, Mariah. Mm hmm. All right, let's move on to Reader's Advisory and suggest some stuff to read uh, instead of or in addition to The Meaning of Mariah Carey. First of all, strong recommend this book, frankly. Um, so I I was actually going to recommend Born a Crime by Trevor Noah, which I think I've recommended on the show before. Uh, but then Renata beat me to it. But then I beat her to saying it out loud. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. Um, my recommendation is the new Babysitter's Club on Netflix, where Jesse caused psychic damage to all millennials watching by referring to Always Be My Baby as this really old song. <sighs> but it's a very good show. Yeah, the season um, was very good. Yeah. Another music-related celebrity memoir that I enjoyed a lot was I Want to Be Where the Normal People Are by Rachel Bloom of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend fame. That one was good. I think Mariah would benefit from reading the YA anthology Black Enough, edited by E.B. Zaboy, which is about 
mixed race or people who, you know, in various ways don't necessarily feel like they, as the title implies, are black enough. Just sort of about the different ways to be black and multiracial in the world. I think she would like to read that. Um, we'll have these and some other ones up at our website, wherespecialers.com. Yep. We'll move on to The Rock Paper Snicked, where Kate will say who Dwayne The Rock Johnson would be if you were in this book, and I'll say who Wolverine would be in this book, and then they'll kiss. As, as with all celebrity <laughs> memoirs, uh, it is genuinely shocking to me that The Rock is not already in this book. Uh, but if he were, I think that he would be in the second half of the book and he and Mariah would just have like a, a solid friendship that they would form together, uh, you know, maybe like on social media and they just like do chill, fun things together and like post it on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. They would, they would vibe over their multiracial identities. Yeah. They would do cute shit with their children. This honestly... Who can we, who can set up a play date for The Rock and Mariah Carey? If Wolverine were in this, I think he would just take Jubilee to a Mariah Carey concert and they would just have a nice time. Yeah. And then go and make out with The Rock. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it would be a good, you know, a good, a good everybody wins. Yeah. All right. Now it's time for Duarte's Corner where my cat Duarte shares his opinions about the book. You're right, Dorothy. We didn't mention Mariah's childhood cat, Morris, named after Morris from these cat food commercials that I only know about because my family did have a set of Morris-themed glassware that we got by mailing in cat food wrappers or whatever on brand. This is actually kind of harrowing. Like, her, one of her mom's boyfriends, like, one of the better ones got these two kittens for them to have, and Mariah, like, loved Morris the cat and would take him, like, swinging with her, and he seemed like a really chill cat. But unfortunately, this boyfriend was a Vietnam vet with PTSD, and he abruptly became violent toward them, and they, like, had to leave very quickly. And Mariah had to, like, run back in to get her cat, and she did get the cat. And that was great. Yeah, Thank and it was, it's very clearly, you're right, Duarte, like, the start of a lifelong cat loving, because she does talk later on about the cat she lived with in New York, and... Yeah, like I, I think you found a true cat lover uh, yeah. in this this memoir that we've read. Oh, thank goodness. A lamb and a kitten. You love to see it. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Duarte. Kate, do you have any closing thoughts? Um, no. This was is a good is good book to a- after a very crazy time, it was nice to be like, ah, oh, like I'm way behind. I need to read this book very quickly and have it be like not bad enjoyable yeah yes i've been listening to the spotify this is mariah carey playlist to get in the mood and honestly no skips a lot of bops on that she is the moment all right well if you want to come join join us your worst best lamely online we are on facebook and instagram at worst bestsellers spelled normally we're on twitter at worst bestseller with no s um uh, because the the s was i I, normally i just improv these i'm a little burned out Mm -hmm. um with no s because the s was lost in a bad uh, record contract because we didn't have the beatles to look to for inspiration when we made that (laughs) it's fine go with it i've i've done worse ones 
Uh, we also have a Goodreads group that you can access by going to worstbestsellers.com and clicking on Goodreads. You can subscribe to us on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, all the places where podcasts are. And if you do subscribe to us, please take a moment to rate and review. When you rate and review, it moves us up on the charts and makes it easier for new people to find us. I was going to say, if you don't rate and review us, we're going to crash into your house with an ice cream cart. But actually, that doesn't sound that sounds good and not necessarily like a threat. So we're bad a thousand today. Uh, <laughs> we also have a Patreon available at patreon.com slash worst bestsellers. Patreon is a service where you offer a small monthly recurring donation that goes to us to do things like pay for our editing software and our web hosting. And in return, uh, you get different perks like postcards and stickers and a newsletter that comes out every month. And uh, it's great. And everyone has a good time. And you get the ability to vote on books that we should read. Yes, you do get that. And uh, we also have merch available. Uh, which you can find by going to worstbestsellers.com and clicking on the part that says merch. And you can find different designs from our podcast to wear on your body. Uh, and finally, if you would like to hang out with other Worst Best listeners, you can find our Discord linked on worstbestsellers.com where people talk about episodes and also other things like the really good bread at Wegmans and how crazy Riverdale is and many other topics. Yeah. Big Wegman's chat happening. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll be back in two weeks. And as mentioned, the Patreon patrons can vote for stuff for us to read. And they have chosen The President is Missing by Bill Clinton and James Patterson. So it's their fault. We'll be back in two weeks with that book. Now I get why you inserted that into the Patreon description. Yeah. I, had a, I had a plan. Thanks. Bye. Bye. brought to you by spice world i mean this podcast brought to you by spice world whatever